All right, so we are currently live and recording. Um, this is Matthew, AKA Nifty Time, and I have the pleasure today to be speaking with Stefan Gross Harbour, digital artist who has a very exciting collection set to release this Thursday, March 30th, at Nifty Gateway, titled Electric Bazaar. I'm very excited to speak with you, Stefan. Excited to dive into your creative journey to date. Uh, some of your commercial work and of course get into all the details for your upcoming nifty gateway release but we'd like to throw the mic to you and have you introduce yourself to our audience and we can take it from there yeah hi matthew uh thanks for having me very happy to be on here and um yeah very excited about about the drop really nice that we can finally work together <laughs> so and then make make something happen so yeah i'm i'm stefan i'm um a digital artist and also a designer from münster in germany i am originally so that that's why i'm saying that i'm originally a graphic designer so i studied design here in münster at the münster school of design by now actually nowadays i just only call me digital artist or sometimes illustrator uh, my background is kind of in both fields so I, I i always like to work both fields and in the last years um became only a, a artist an artist now when did the the creative bug bite you when did you find that you had a passion and a love for creating art um that was actually really early in my life so i remember always being interested in in drawing and painting as a kid every kid loves to to draw you know it's it's kind of i think it's really normal for kids um to to pick up crayons and just draw something uh and so when i thought back about my 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 years with my parents and like um drawing any kind of stuff that that kids draw uh, i thought like okay i, I was obviously not, nothing special because everyone as a kid likes to draw but uh, i had a look at uh, some of my old drawings uh, a couple of years ago and um thought back to when i was i guess probably five or six years old and i actually discovered what i would say uh, a higher interest in the, the craft of drawing even back then one of my earliest creative influences and still actually creative influences is um our comics and cartoons especially uh, disney or uh lean claire comics from like the franco-belgian artists like uh, Hergé, for example or also the the asterix uh, comics I, I really loved as a kid and i started very early to redraw these so i took these and i filled like whole big paper sheets with drawings of scrooge scrooge mcduck and uh asterix and obelix i don't know actually i don't know if, if they're internationally known so so let me know if if, if asterix is something you know uh, at all but um yeah well, that was that were my first steps and as my parents always my parents aren't artists at all but they always saw that this was kind of a, an early passion so they just let me do what i wanted so i, I think that that was when the then when the bug <laughs> bit me first and i never never really uh, stopped doing it uh, until now i guess and when did the the digital side enter your artistic practice yeah, so we we weren't a very digital family at all. Um, so we didn't have a computer until I was a little bit older. And I gotta say, I'm I'm uh, 36 now. So in the 90s, it wasn't very common for for a family to have a family computer. At least not in the early 90s, I would say. And uh, 
uh, especially not for us because we didn't have lots of money and um also yeah my my parents weren't really in, interested in this technology so yeah i worked for quite a long time with traditional tools and i remember getting my first some kind of cheap uh notebook thing and getting a very very cheap wacom maybe with like maybe when i was 20 um because i saw that people were doing crazy things with digital tools and i back then i already started to play around with photoshop a little bit and you know you start drawing around with your mouse on the canvas in photoshop and you're like okay huh this is interesting there's weird weird and funny brushes and brushes with crazy effects and stuff like that that you couldn't couldn't do uh, with traditional tools and especially not that fast and yeah then then i thought like uh, okay i should probably get into this and i got uh, a really small really cheap <laughs> i think even used wacom bamboo some like it's it's kind of i think it's smaller than a postcard the, the drawing surface you know and uh, <laughs> it was uh, but it was nice to to make my first steps and so i did my civil service after after um finishing school and then i uh was looking for a job and I, uh, after a couple of months i started at a, a consultant firm like a consultancy uh, as a media design apprentice and um yeah i i kept working with these tools and kept like i asked my boss if he would buy me a bigger tablet and he got me the tablet and after a couple of months i was kind of the 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 digital illustration expert of that firm <laughs> but if i look look at my illustrations now they're really really crappy and they're not good but uh yeah i mean that's the first steps right yeah and just doing the thing is, is definitely like a huge part of it and it's it's funny when you do look back on some of those first steps whether it's in the creative side of things or Otherwise, it's it's always you, you get a little bit of cringe reaction internally. Probably you're like, oh my goodness, I, which is cool because you see and you can note that progress, that development yeah. over time. Yeah, you need you need this cringe. I think everyone needs yeah. this. Uh, I challenged my, myself to share some of that stuff on Instagram a while ago because I I wasn't like I, I felt really bad about sharing it, but I thought like, hey, I, this could probably give people courage to see. Um, okay, he's he's doing the these artworks now that that I like. But 10, 15 years back, he, he was producing absolute nonsense and, and absolute low quality stuff, you know. And I think that that's a good way to, to show everyone, hey, it's, it's, it's a big and long prog progress and um, a process. And uh, it just takes a while. No journey happens overnight. No journey worth taking happens overnight. So it's always cool to, to go back over time and check that out. One thing that I was, I was listening for as you were talking about your background was perhaps when or if the influence from from Northeast Asia, maybe Japan, was going to come in. And I didn't hear it. Although looking at your body of work across foundations, super rare, I was fully expecting some deep dive or some like childhood memory or uh, study abroad in Japan that perhaps had an influence on, it, on you. But I'm curious, is there any direct influence uh, of Japanese culture at manga, anime, anything like that? Um, that's influenced you because it does seem to be quite a strong recurring theme in, in many of your works and series. Yeah, that's uh, that's a funny uh, funny thing is that th this question is coming up quite regularly because um, people ask me like, have you been 
in Japan for a while and then um, like where, where do these influences come from? I think it's I, I, so first of all I haven't been to Japan so far so I, I haven't been there in person um, and I find it really fascinating to analyze myself how kind of secondhand media or, or secondhand uh, impressions influence my work because all I know from over there from from Asia or for, from Japan is or everything I know, it comes from movies, um, photography, uh, people even telling me the experiences from living there. And uh, yeah, I find that really, really fascinating because it's kind of, um, kind of a filtered influence I have there. And um, um, people can, always can't believe that I uh, match the, the vibe and the, you know, when, when I have these street scenes, like the, the whole uh energy and the, the light and the whole vibe and the place uh that i match this so good i, I don't know um why, why it works so well it's it's crazy um i definitely want to go to japan at some point so that's that's definitely on my, on my bucket list now but uh, my influences really come from 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 reading manga as well of course um, that i didn't start super early as well so i first got in touch with manga for example when I started studying in Münster, and lots of my um, fellow students were were absolutely absolute weeps, you know, and then were reading manga, um, watching anime a lot. So I got into this through them a bit, but also not really as a kid or or in my youth. Um, quite late in comparison to to many others, I guess. I somewhat had a, a sense that you may have not directly traveled to Japan, which is not to take away anything from your art, but it was just something as a, it, it felt like a very uh, detached, if you will, sort of perspective um, from afar, but you capture so much detail that I wasn't sure. I was like, maybe he has been there. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, I, I had a, I, I posted this, a thread on Twitter um, last week about my, I had this, this auction of this Japan Day series going on and I was posting a thread about uh, the background of my thoughts behind that artwork and i mentioned that the view on these scenes and on the people i have in these scenes there's always like small small people not, not children but the, the, in, the, in the, the size of the people in the artworks is always that we look at the people from from a higher distance yeah and i described it as a kind of voyeuristic look at these people so we kind of look into their lives through a screen or from far behind or through a looking glass or whatever and and that's how I feel with making these artworks in general, so that I kind of get these impressions and I watch movies. And uh, for example, I also like um, Japanese car culture. So I watch some some YouTubers uh, doing their drift videos uh, in Japan with, with their cars. And um, but it's always like watching them from from a distance. And uh, it's interesting how this translates into the, the artworks. Yeah, it translates to the artworks, and there's something about the, I don't want to overgeneralize, but the Japanese spirit um, that seems to translate very well with folks that, that are both in crypto and as well as art. Something about, I think, maybe their dedication to their craft that they've become known for, like as a general people, attention to detail, um, lifelong dedication there, even like on the food side of things, like Jiro dreams of sushi, seeing someone spend decades and decades just focused on the smallest of details trying to perfect everything about it it's something that is very much in the current zeitgeist for folks that 
are are in crypto generally trying to make something out of nothing and spending all of one's time and energy focused on making everything as good as possible i think there's something something there that speaks to everyone um regardless yeah. of if they've been there or not which is a very cool thing to to see speaking of the crypto side of things how did you come across crypto and nfts oh your genesis on on super rare one dates back to may 2021 um did you encounter crypto prior to that or how did that journey unfold yeah i'm actually uh aware of what's going on in the, in the crypto scene since um since since a bit long a bit bit longer before nft so i started i think i bought my first ethereum maybe in 2017 or so i was i was back then we were all really really early kind of i think my my first ethereum was like two digit two digit price like 80 dollars dollars or so but one could think that i would be really rich now but i am not because i sold much of it i was i wasn't i wasn't obeying to the, to the rule of uh, holding things and then uh, holding your crypto until forever uh and then i sold it all when i got panicked by by um by a little crash or not all but but much of it um so i i'm inter interested in this whole technology and in the whole um whole scene for a couple of years now and i got my first i think my, my first touch points with the scene with just really friends so i have a couple of friends who were um interested in in bitcoin of course i mean in the first place and then then also uh this kind of changed very quickly to to altcoins um especially ethereum but also other coins i spent time with these friends and and we just talked about this and talked about the potentials and what this could mean to the financial sector we're not not at all kind of attached to to um or w my friends don't have have jobs in the financial sector it's just like out of interest for technology and and for technological developments i guess and uh, yeah i mean this was kind of a natural thing to to invest myself and and see what this what the fuzz was all about right uh, i remember i remember when first articles and newspapers came up like about bitcoin and what what's what's this new uh, weird thing and um what's this kind of weird digital money fantasy money revolution uh it was nice that you already knew what was going on and had at least a little bit of a uh sense of how it all worked coming into nfts of course this was a great great foundation for me because i already knew how to operate a, a wallet and i i already knew how to um transfer crypto back and forth and kind of this this hurdle or this this wall of understanding what what this was about kind of in the uh, and on the back end I, I already kind of climbed that wall while, while others joined the scene and were really confused and, and very very uh, yeah yeah really confused about what, what what this was all about you know what the fuck is uh, a metamask and and um why uh do i need a ledger or whatever that's my story and uh funny thing is that i had an eye on nfts since i think mid 2020 when i saw a couple of artists i followed um especially met up jones for example and also uh, victor mosquera so i followed these guys um, and others um 
and saw them minting their work in 2020 already. And I was like, um, even though I had a grasp of this technology and even though I found this really interesting, I back then I somehow, it didn't really click to me that this could be a, uh, an alternative future for for um, art and the art world. And uh, it had it needed a couple of artists kind of to convince me to finally mint my first piece in, I think, in February 21 until it kind of clicked with me. And I was like, oh, damn, yeah, sure, man. This is a great idea. This could work and I should absolutely be part of this. That's so funny. I, I love everyone's tipping point into the minting. Well, that, that sort of all takes us to, to today. I know you were just talking about the piece that you released last week, I believe on, on Super Rare, Train Ride Tuesday, that looks like just sold at auction there on Super Rare on the 24th. But then this Thursday, we have a, a very cool drop that we mentioned in the intro, Electric Bazaar, set to release on Nifty Gateway. Do you want to kind of unpack the, the genesis of that collection, what folks can expect when it's released on Thursday? Yeah, uh, thanks, first of all. Uh, yeah, that was a great, great sale I had um, last week. And the, the series, the Japan Day series, is really special to me. So I was, um, I'm, I'm glad that even in the in sometimes difficult market situations, uh, I was able to make a good sale. Uh, this, of course, confirms my, my work. And yeah, it's, it's for me, it's sometimes, I mean, you're working on something and uh, sometimes it's really, I'm sitting here in my office and then working away and then suddenly two kind of, essential or big drops happen in a very short period of time so this week uh, electric bazaar comes to town and uh, i'm super happy that i can finally have a first own nifty drop so i had a one piece as a part of a larger collection last year um and this is my first own nifty drop and i had this this uh, idea or this concept behind this this drop is that i have or that i take vending machines and um make a collection of these machines that are really crazy and uh animated in a funny way looking like that that i really want people to 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 see them and just want to i want them to be entertained you know um so it's three of these vending machines three electric bazaars coming in and then they all have kind of their own topic it's isometric artworks uh that's something i should mention because isometric art like this this perspective uh something i really like to do in my work so i have this collection called curious cabins this is a collection of isometric buildings so it's kind of in this line of visual work and i had this this idea of making these vending machines for so long and i was thinking that this isometric perspective would be really perfect for them for them because it it, it supports like things looking cute and it supports that you can add lots of funny little details. It gives people a kind of interesting bird's eye perspective on, on an object that makes everyone want to kind of find out like what is this cute, interesting, funny little moving thing. And I, I want to dive into it and I want to people look at it and then think, hey, I, I want this kind of as a, a Lego kit or a 3D printed object on my desk because it, it looks so nice and, and sweet. Yeah, and these these machines, so there's there's one... Uh, open edition coming that's called trip machine they all have some references to crypto by the way so that's something that i don't do always with my work but uh, i like to give a hint or two or hide a little pepe somewhere or so uh, but actually these artworks have like strong crypto, crypto references and trip machine is the the open edition that it will be focusing around kind of drugs and um 
like it's a vending machine where you can buy, for example, copium, <laughs> something we sometimes all, all need in the space. And uh, then there will be uh, the crypto kiosk. That, that one has obviously the strongest crypto references because um, it's kind of a machine that sells uh, cryptocurrencies on floppy disks. So um, this is a good example for, for sometimes having these, these retro-futuristic elements. So I, I really like to... I'm a big fan of cyberpunk. Some of my work is uh, circling around the cyberpunk world or cyberpunk visuality a lot. And I like retro-futuristic stuff. So I have these floppy disks um, with, with like Bitcoin and Ethereum on it. And there's lots of puns. I, there's, for example, there's um, uh, FTT floppies lying on the ground, like <laughs> thrown away. And there's um, yeah some stickers and posters hanging on the wall. So I, I, I hope everyone will be uh, will have fun like diving into this artwork and and have a look at all the little references and puns in there so that will be a limited edition uh, uh, 15 editions ranked auction and then there we will have a third piece that will be called loot box right? loot box and that will have some video game references uh so it's kind of one of these claw machines i think you call these claw machines where you kind of control this this grabbing arm and you pick an item with Usually with like toys, and my my version is a claw machine with crypto items like um, or NFT items like PFPs, but also some video game references because I want this artwork to have this gamification aspect, and I wanted to kind of circle around the the topic of gaming and and gambling as well. We all know that crypto and NFTs are about gambling a lot at, at times, <laughs> so. And and this one will be like it's it's fitting to the topic. This this one will be a raffle. So between all collectors of the open edition and the limited edition, um, we will raffle this one as a, I think five editions is what we have now. Such perfect commentary, right, on the the state of the NFT space in general. Obviously, there's there's exceptions to it, but the the gamification, the the gambling, the luck aspect. I think it's kind of all very perfect and the the crypto theme that runs throughout the the works it's self-referential i think a lot of people will see themselves in it but it's also a nice dose of of critique through this creation this art collection which is very cool you always love to see that i guess when this podcast is published probably by tomorrow we should have a, a preview up available so folks can check out exactly uh what stefan was just talking about there Really excited for Thursday. Again, the, the drop goes live at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time on niftygateway.com. You'll see the collection front and center if you go to the homepage right there. Before we wrap, I'm just curious, Stefan. So heading forward, where do you see this whole space going? Where do you see the role of the artist when it comes to this intersection of art and crypto and the digital? First of all, I would always say that that this is this this whole thing is here to stay um i mean i've i've heard it really often now and, and i'm sure you heard it heard very often as well um and i'm not not someone to to spread like toxic positivity uh like you mentioned before like seeing the space with a sense of humor but also with a sense of like realism that not everything is is always whack me <laughs> so, is is how i is my personal approach to it and um i think my my character is kind of like um I, I like seeing things with with a sense of humor because it's it's more easy to deal with with things th things this way but i think 
there will be a really, really interesting and fascinating future coming up with all the developments that are directly related to crypto but uh, and NFTs, but also like in the sphere that, that surrounds us with uh, AI art and AI uh, text programs. I think the next years will bring crazy new stuff and it will change the whole art world very much, I guess, in the next years. And um, what I think is that we in the space we have now are kind of, you know, if, if, the, if this is a whole train that goes in a direction, we're kind of sitting at the, in the on the driver's seat or at least like sitting next to the driver as a co-pilot. I don't know. We were kind of, we, we, we shape and we can define what's coming. And we, I have the feeling that all the people I have to do with in the space, like artists, collectors, people that are kind of on the back end with coders and developers, we have a great tool at our hands and it, it will be challenging every day to, to make the best decisions, of course. And there will be bear markets like we have now, but, but yeah, I'm basically really positive. And um, I even think that the current bear market is something, something nice as long as the good people stay, you know, as long as the, 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 the great builders and the visionary people won't be frustrated and leaving. I think it's something great because 2021 was nice. The whole hype and the, and the, told craze about PFP projects. I had some really, really crazy offers on my plate, uh, like coming in almost sometimes even almost every day, like people sending me like contracts for, for making a PFP collection for, 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 yeah, interesting money, of course. But, um, I'm kind of glad that this, this craze is a little bit over so that we can now build in a more calm and more focused environment, I guess. No, I love that. And I guess the metaphor of being like a co-conductor or conductor of a train as it's heading forward, as the track is being laid directly in front of you. <laughs> Which yeah, is, maybe we're maybe we're not, not sitting in the driver's seat, but we're building the track. <laughs> we're kind of doing both. <laughs> Anyone that's not in the space, like that's kind of a perfect metaphor. A lot of people either use the building a plane in flight. But I also the, the train metaphor works as well, laying the track as the, the steaming train is, is barreling ahead. But you, you touched on the commercial work, and that, that's something I almost missed. Uh, you've worked with clients like Adidas or Adidas, uh, Kia, Lufthansa, amongst others. Curious, and I know that there's some artists that have used crypto art, NFTs, digital art to kind of go full time into their own personal art kind of leaving the commercial world behind. It sounds like you're doing both still. Kind of curious to hear your perspective on on balancing commercial and one's personal artistic craft. Yeah, that's an interesting topic. Um balancing is is really a key and, and a challenge to me. I try to to balance it. Actually I don't know I don't have really a goal, but my goal is to to not focus on one thing and leave the other thing completely behind. So that's actually and that in the last two years, I did like an analysis of my 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 revenue through my business. And funny thing is that both years were really unbelievably close to fifty fifty. So I I uh, I couldn't believe it when I saw it, but I somehow managed to do fifty percent personal projects and fifty percent commercial or client projects in terms of revenue. That is, of course, and I, I like that very much because I, I like it when people say I'm, I'm committing myself completely to to the NFT space. That's great, but everyone's different, and for me personally, I I prefer to keep my 
my bonds with my clients and um, not because I expect the NFT space to break down, but just because I think having different kind of income streams and different kinds of relationships in, into, into, for example, into the NFT space, but also into, into the business world is more more fun and more exciting for me it's it's actually as simple as that because it prevents me from from getting bored for from my work but i also got to say that i know lots of artists who do commercial work only for the money and that's not the case for me so when i draw a campaign for adidas like i did in january again i, I didn't share the latest campaign i i'm able to share it now but i didn't yet because I didn't have the time to prepare it it's also because of me me having fun with with like figuring out a concept for for their campaign you know and sitting down and thinking like okay they they're going to release a new shoe uh, and i made the the campaign for the new ultra boost uh, running shoe and um so i got this shoe and then I, i'm thinking like okay uh how can i build a concept an illustrative concept around this campaign and then it's it's big fun for me um, but it's also about curating your clients of course i dump a lot of clients when i feel they they're not doing me good you know and i told lots of clients that i don't want to keep up working with them when i had the feeling that they were controlling my work too much or when they overstepped their boundaries in terms of my artistic freedom and stuff like that so it's kind of also a curation of of clients but so far it works great and yeah i I had a nice magazine uh, job lately for a magazine cover for example where I made an artwork that where I thought like, hey, I could could also this could also be something I could mint on Super Air or on on Foundation or wherever. But it was a commission, and they paid for it. And the next piece I do is probably something a collector will pick up. Who knows? So yeah, that's that's the kind of balance I'm trying to figure out day by day, kind of. <laughs> I love the nuance, and I, I love that perspective. That again, at the end of the day, everyone is different. They need to to do what works for them, but the nuance of how you, you approach your commercial work. I think that it really resonates with as a non-artist, even just thinking about curating one's one's clients as artists can do with their collectors now, as collectors do with artists. It, it's all very, it feels very close and very relatable and understandable. I got to say, it's, it's of course a little bit of um, special or even maybe privileged situation because not everyone can curate their clients. There's a lot of artists who have to take what, what comes in, right? want to add that because um i don't don't want to want it to sound like too easy or um as if like uh, everyone is always swamped with with new work it's of course there's times where you think like hey i'm i'm i don't have a gig right now and i i need to take what comes next to pay my rent of course apart from that if you have the choice and i mean i'm, I'm doing this for lots of years now and there have been other times um and since a couple of years i'm able to do this curation now and i'm very very happy that it is this way very very important caveat there but also i mean like you said before too this it's very much a a work in progress right so this is something that you've been very thoughtful about it sounds like for years and years and evaluating what works what doesn't that sort of an introspection reflection is really important and knowing that not everything will always last or be the same as it has been in it requires that kind of constant reflection to make sure it's working still um, or if changes need to be made so again appreciate that nuance immensely yeah yeah i think Um, a little bit of flexibility uh in in your in your mind is or off mind is important i we see that with artists 
hating or spending a lot of energy on hating AI right now, for example. I see that on Instagram, also Twitter, that, that people invest lots of that time and energy into fighting AI software and, and AI artists. And I don't want to open up this this whole topic of AI art. That's, that's really something something else. But um, just as an example, it has been the same with NFTs. I think as an artist, it's really difficult to be narrow-minded because the world is changing and the technology is changing. And if I look at the tools I've been using 10, 15, 20 years ago, it's crazy how how much it has changed and even in the background like how much i don't know photoshop or procreate or whatever software you use for for drawing like how how they influence your workflow already without you probably actively noticing it as an artist and i find it difficult so i don't i of course i obviously i don't want to tell anyone how how they should feel but i think it's difficult to be be narrow-minded on technological developments uh, that makes i think that makes you work in your life harder and doesn't bring you bring you success in the future i think it's interesting to see people's reactions not just artists but folks generally when something new comes on the scene folks will either ignore it they'll negatively react and, and try to say this is wrong or not right or folks will deep dive into it and tinker around and kick the tires and, and see what's there experiment personally speaking that the experimentation approach always seems to yield better results or at least a more like nuanced take and understanding of what it is that is new versus folks that try to ignore it act like it hasn't been created uh, or like you're talking about initially spending their time reacting and saying this is wrong don't do this how dare they whatever whatever yeah absolutely i mean not everyone is is, has the time and and should should completely dive into everything that's new. Um, obviously, that's not possible. But if it kind of touches your own work and if it intersects with your with with the industry you're working in, I think it would be a good idea to at least like stay up to date and and see what the what the whole thing is about. And I guess that that makes you more resistant against um, actual changes coming probably to your everyday work you know uh, at some point probably your boss comes in and tells you hey um there's this new thing um we have to use it as well now and then i think it, it's better if you can like answer yeah sure i know what's it about i know how it works and let's talk about it instead of you know i don't want to hear it i don't want to see it go away <laughs> well stefan this conversation has been fascinating uh, again like super stoked for thursday can't wait to release the collection for the world to see very very excited for that let everyone know where they can follow you um track you um again not just for thursday but even beyond that as well yeah i think we covered everything quite well um was a nice talk uh so really appreciate having having this this little chat and any updates and information about the the drop on thursday will be on my twitter so twitter große <laughs> halbur so everyone will be able to type that in now <laughs> I guess you you'll have links to my profiles exactly where, yeah wherever this will be will be available so yeah updates will will be posted there and on my discord of course uh, i'm really looking forward to it i'm extremely excited i have to actually i have to finish the last artwork still as some we didn't we didn't really talk about my my work routine but i would say i almost always get my my deadlines but it's always tight 
So uh, I have to sit down and, and finish the last artwork so we can we can also put it on Nifty uh, on Thursday. I'm also going to share some some process insights. Uh, so if anyone's interested in that, looking into the way I work and how these electric bazaars come to life, um, feel free to check out my Twitter and Instagram. Very much in keeping with the metaphor that we were talking about earlier, uh, we're laying the track as we speak leading up to the day of the drop when the train needs to leave the station. It's kind of perfect. Exactly, yeah. That's a good fit. <laughs> awesome, Stefan. Well, Again, it was a pleasure. Everyone that listens to this, thank you very much. And make sure you check out the show notes for all the links leading up to the drop on Thursday, 6.30 p.m. Eastern on the dgateway.com. Cheers. <laughs>